Hello. Good afternoon. Good to see everyone. Um, I am Aline. I work with KV uh, doing kids programs and youth programs and anything else that needs doing at the time, pretty much, um, you know, because it's a church and that's what we do. Um, so I get to share um, and continue in the series that we're doing together in 1 John or 1 John, whichever you would like to call it. Um, and so I'll continue that today with verses 9 through 14. Um, we pick up in this section of scripture after having heard just kind of a context for the past few weeks. Um, firstly, uh, we heard about an overall uh, uh, overview of the book and kind of the context where this was coming from. And it was actually a time where John was writing to the church in a crisis of faith and kind of coming out of a crisis of faith uh, with false doctrine being spread and all this mess that that can cause. But um, in the testing of their faith, it's actually being now strengthened. And John is writing these words that still really do speak to us today as our faith is tested, um, just like in day-to-day -day things, because it, it does get tested, doesn't it? So much so um, that, you know, even as, you know, there's talk of darkness and light, um, the darkness and the light, which we heard from two weeks ago, um, from Jim, uh, with the sin and the righteousness kind of next to each other, they reveal each other so much when they're placed there. One highlights the other. Um, and the truth is that we are both forgiven of our sin, and we still much are very, very much susceptible to sin again. So when we do, we have an invitation to bring it into the light, to own it, and to ask for that powerful forgiveness from Jesus. And then last week we heard from Carol, uh, and we looked at the part of First John that calls us to love, and particularly to love those that are really hard to love. Um, and the challenge to us is something that really can't be done in human strength. And the preaching team um, agreed that these last couple of verses, verses 9 through 11, which we'll read in a moment, should be rehearsed again this week along with some more of First John at, um, for emphasis because it's just a really important point. So um, you might find that familiar from last week, but we're actually going to rehearse it once again. And I've asked Lizzie to come up and read. Uh, Lizzie, would you come? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Thanks so much. Um, so here we are, um, again, beginning with verse 9. Uh, we see that contrast of darkness 
versus light. And even the idea that we're blinded, that we cannot see if we have hatred in our hearts toward our brothers and sisters. And later in First um, John chapter 3, we'll be reminded that hatred is actually the same as murder. That's a tall order. And we must be careful to understand that this warning to us is to actually set our own hearts free. As verse 10 says, if we love our brothers and sisters, we're living in the light. And there's nothing that will make us stumble. That's where I want to be. Certainly, but in this reality to live in the light, we need something much more powerful than just our own strength, our righteousness. We need the strength that Jesus offers us. And I'd like to point out that this single admonishment in verse 9 through 11, it might be one of the greatest challenges in the church today. With the enemy of our souls working overtime to sow discord, because the biggest witness to the not yet Christian is in the book of John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think maybe that Jesus needed to specifically say these words in this way because he knew it would be difficult. But is it possible that this area is the most concentrated effort of attack by the enemy of our souls, the accuser of the brethren? as he's referenced to in Revelation 12, verse 10, a.k.a. the devil. Let's, not, let's make sure not to take sides with the accuser against our own brethren, but to rather ask God what his heart is for them. If everyone really saw that we Christians love one another well by the power of Jesus and him alone, I think they would come running into those arms of love. Because that's what humanity is looking for. Um, these days, however, as the news headlines end up compounding on one, one another with no fair time in the middle but to process the grief that they're due, um, the church seems to process by deciding to argue with one another in open forums on the internet for all to see. Um, and... and you know, this is what flashes through my eyes as I read these verses in 1 John. And I pray for those, the aching hearts that they have that are hurting so badly that they have to turn against each other. But the same thing is true as it has been for ages. Human hatred is a disease. The world is desperately seeking the antidote. But our own human love will only go so far. We need the love that Jesus calls us to. It's an impossible call, but it is completely fulfilled through the sacrifice that Jesus made. As we walk humbly with him as disciples, we're given this ability to walk in the light by truly loving our brothers and sisters. And it calls us to humble ourselves even to the point of not needing to be right or to have the last word. So, Jesus, please help us with that. And then we see John move into this next few verses, and it's an interesting few. Um, he shifts into something almost poem-like in form. In verse 12, with repetition, and at first glance, honestly, it seems a bit weird, or like Carol mentioned last week, it could have us wondering if John needs a good night's sleep. Um, 
children, fathers, young men, back to children, where, where, where was I? And also, are females allowed in there? And um, in short, on that part, yes, women are allowed to be Christians and also <laughs> to stand up front and speak in church. So it's a relief. Um, and also, John has not lost his marbles. And although I can't speak to how much rest he has had at the time of writing it, um, he's actually writing it in a very intentional way. It's a meditative style, almost song or poem-like in form, where repetition is a means of letting the words go deep into our hearts. The demographic here is not limited to exclude you if you're not in the list of these three, but it's an invitation for all. It's, a mess, it's message in this section rehearses the gospel and how it connects to our very identity. I'll say a bit more about this, but it comes back to the tall order um, of loving in the verses before it, because in order to truly love one another, as weighty and as difficult as that is, we need to remember who we are in Christ. We need to remember that there's a battle that we live in, not fought with human punches, but by the humbling of ourselves and yielding to God's strength alone. So let's look at these next few verses together. Um, thanks, Ben, so much. Um, the section of verses in, in 12 to 14 is actually a bit of a hinge to the book of First John. If you look at it all together, it's sort of a sea law moment, and you'll have read that word sea law if you've read the Psalms, meaning to pause and reflect and take a breath to sort of zoom back out, looking at the big picture, let it go deep into your heart, kind of what's going on. And John is actually reminding us of some foundational truths um, in the midst of a lot of challenge, in the midst of a lot of admonishment as he's, as he's asking us. And it's as if John is taking a moment to metaphorically look people in the eye, to get them by the shoulders, and to say, hey, remember, remember who you are in Christ. And we need that, don't we? We, we need someone telling us, someone who's in our corner in the great boxing match of life, to when we take a breath and we go back and we look at them, we need someone standing there speaking the truth to us and reminding us. We're, that's what we're called in to be for each other. This is the fellowship that we're called into. To tell each other, whether it's for the first time ever or more often, to remind each other of this truth. This is a part of what it looks like to walk in the light with one another. And something about this meditative style can feel a bit awkward, like, I mean, isn't it redundant? Why repeat it? You know, why, who comes first in the list versus last. But if you look at it in this poem style, um, meditation, you know, it can have that weird connotation if you're not familiar with it. But in essence, we're called to remember, to rehearse, and to repeat the truths of Scripture. That's what it means. The Bible was actually written with this purpose in mind, that we would rehearse the Scriptures, that we would repeat them to each other and remind ourselves of these truths. Something wonderful happens when we do this. Meditating on the scriptures doesn't get old or boring, much like eating food doesn't get old or boring. It's actually something that nourishes us, that we are hungry to fill ourselves with, and that we need strength 
we need to get strength from to carry on. So in that light, if we look at this group of scriptures, some really powerful truths can then be extracted. The main point that we should remind ourselves today of is our sins have been forgiven us for his name's sake. We are strong and we have overcome the wicked one. And we have known the one who was from the beginning. Um, Most theologians agree that this was not intended to mean the literal age of the people listed, children, young people, and, you know, parents' age, but more a stage of maturity in the faith. And knowing that helps us to apply this to ourselves a bit more, but I would even take it a bit further and say that these three phases of spiritual maturity can be revisited, sort of like in a, a cycles of life and um, in a circular form, though perhaps the time increases that you walk with Jesus. Um, it can be thought of being as being in a particular season and needing to be encouraged with a particular message. For example, have you ever been in a time where you have felt shame and you needed to be reminded that your sins have been forgiven you on the count of Jesus' name. That's what the gospel tells us. Have you ever been in a time where you felt feeble in the faith and you needed to be reminded that you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one? That's what the gospel tells us. Have you ever been in a place where you're being tested by your circumstances where what you're experiencing in the moment doesn't seem to line up with what God's promises for you are. And you need to be reminded that you have known the one who is from the beginning. He can be trusted. This is the invitation of the gospel. It's interesting to me that those referred to as parents in the faith, the ones more mature, are encouraged by the reminder that we know who he is. Verse 13 says, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. This rings so true. I find that the longer I follow Christ, the more it seems um, that the way through this life is to know him. And I feel like this is kind of, um, there are couples that have been married for, you know, 75 years and people ask, what's your secret, you know? Um, And then they give you this super simple yet so profound idea that you're like, that's, I'm going to hold on to that forever. And and also with people that I know have been following Jesus for a really long time, I'll look at them and I'll want to know the same thing. And I feel like maybe this is a key to what they might say, to know him. Just as John is reminding those, hey, fathers, you know, you you, you're at that stage in your life and you know him. You need to be reminded to know his ways, the one that is from the beginning, the eternal God, the one who created the heavens and the earth and you and I, the one who knows us through and through and still loves us entirely. Knowing God is the ultimate. When everything is on the line, Where do you come back to? It's as if God in scripture is reaching out through those pages and getting us by the shoulders and looking us in the eye and saying, hey, you know me. Remember, remember who I am. I can be trusted. The ultimate is to know him. 
I notice this encouragement is also addressed in verse 13 to the little children that John refers to, those less mature in their faith. And to me, this is a powerful reminder that we don't have to be at a certain maturity level or know a certain amount to be invited into this deep and full knowledge and love of God. It's the message of Jesus. It's free, and it's for everyone, no matter who you are. And in true poetic form, it seems here that everything else, like overcoming the wicked one and knowing your sins are forgiven you, are connected to knowing him. The eternal invitation to know him stands forever through his son, Jesus, to those who have never heard of the Christian gospel just as much as he gives that invitation to those who have followed closely the way of Christ for years. The beauty is that God in his eternal way will always have more to offer us in terms of getting to know him. His ways are unsearchable, as it says in Romans 11, verse 33, and yet something deep inside of us knows that we were made to search those out. Through the highs and the lows, of life with glimpses of heaven breaking into earth, it all starts and ends with knowing him. So my encouragement and my reminder to us today is that we are overcomers because our sins have been forgiven us and because we know the one who is from the beginning, the one that we serve. He's good and his ways can be trusted even when we don't fully understand. Personally, I found myself in need of hope this week. That was a rough one. And when things get rough, we have the truth of the scriptures to turn to. And we get to gather as we are in Jesus' name. We get to remind ourselves and each other of these truths. If you need hope, be encouraged by these things. Feed yourself with God's faithfulness as it says in Psalm 37.3. And if you have any hope to give, speak to your brothers and sisters around you. Encourage them. The world um, might be able to offer a hopeful, you've got this, and that's nice, that's good. But in Jesus, we get to offer the hopeful reminder that God's got you. He's got you today. He has you. He's walking through with you carrying you even, perhaps. And that's the message today. So will you stand and I'll pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word that remains true throughout eternity. And I pray for those in need of hope today that um, they would come face to face with your word and they would see you looking them in the eye and encouraging them with these things today. Lord, help us to be a group that knows the weapons we have to fight, which is your words of truth. Help us to remind each other of these hopeful truths, God. Lord, I pray these words would go deep in our hearts today and carry us through. In Jesus' name, amen.